Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Amen. So we have a lot going on today. We have Sunday school and then worship with communion and then a congregational meeting and a fellowship meal. Hopefully you've uh, you're all prepared and ready to go and girding up your loins for uh, a long day at church. But we start here. We start with the next lesson in Christian rigor, and that is pray. Pray. Prayer. We're going to focus on prayer this morning. Again, those I remind you of what this class is about. When we talk about Christian rigor, we're not talking about works righteousness. We're talking about works that follow from justifying faith. Okay, and so uh, we are rigorous because God has made us alive. We are rigorous because God has worked in us and given us everything that is necessary for godliness. And so this is about our pursuit of sanctification, not our pursuit of justification. And I'm approaching the, the uh, main scripture that we come to, asking the question, if this is true, and absolutely true, would, and am I, would I or am I obeying this? Am I willing to obey this? Am I believing? Am, are my actions following a genuine belief in what the scripture teaches. And so today's main verse is Matthew 21, 18 to 22. <clears throat> if you want to open up, go ahead. Matthew 21, 18 to 22. This is the word of the Lord. Now in the morning when he, Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt... You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Right? There are many. So that's, that's our verse. That last one. All things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. <clears throat> Often the... This passage is dealt with sort of allegorically so that you don't have to deal with uh, that last verse in prayer. Uh, and so, um, you know, mountains being cast into the sea is, is dealt with metaphorically. And, and so the, but, but the summary statement there of Jesus reflecting on the things he just said is, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Believing prayer. A prayer said in faith, right, is powerful. A prayer said in faith, without doubting, is powerful. Now, God commands us to pray, right? I don't have to convince you of that. 
what verses would you, uh, you know, throw out for, uh, for proving that, that God commands us to pray? Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5, Lord's Prayer, when you pray, pray like this. Okay, yep. Philippians, yep, right, so, I mean, yeah, <clears throat> oh, no, no, we don't, we don't allow that, it's a, it's a New Testament Presbyterian church, no, absolutely, what is it, what did you say, what, what's the example? No, no, no. You pull, pull, pull what you were going to pull. Oh, we have a whole book of prayers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we have tons of examples, and we have a whole prayer book. Some would call it a song book. It's a prayer book, right? Which is... Yeah, exactly, right? We see Solomon praying in the temple. We see Nehemiah confessing sins before the Lord through prayer. I mean, there's example after example. All following the command of God. Yeah, so we first Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Matthew 6, 5 through 16, when you pray, you are not to pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, that connection between prayer and reward. Philippians 5, uh, no, 4. 5 through 7, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing, but in everything in, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Luke 18, wonderful parable here, Luke 18, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times, that some of the parables of Jesus are prefaced with Here's what Jesus was doing in this parable. So don't get confused about this. The one point of this parable is what it's prefaced with. And he says, now he, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Okay? At all times they should pray and not to lose heart. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? 
I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In Isaiah chapter 62, we have uh, an example, or we have uh, a statement there that talks about uh, annoying God, like that unrighteous judge, by praying continuously. It says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And so we, we are to give God no rest because we are lifting up to him continuously our prayers. Jesus prayed. Pretty good um, reason for us to be praying. If Jesus prayed, how much more ought we to pray? Right? The one who had no disfellowship at all from God, who communioned with God as God, prayed to his Father. Matthew 14, 23, and Jesus had sent the crowds away. After Jesus had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So often Jesus would go off into secluded places on the mountain, by himself, at night, under the cover of darkness, and he would pray. And you, you wonder why Jesus had to pray. He was always doing the will of his Father, right? And we're often praying, Lord, help, uh, and confessing our sins. We pray to God, and it's because we've broken his will. Jesus prayed to God because he was always following his will. And yet, um, Jesus was humbled, he was suffering, there were things that he was lifting to the Lord, there were people that he was praying for, the Holy Spirit was active in Jesus, just as the Holy Spirit is active in us. Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then that prayer, we learn the prayer, right? We learn what sort of agonizing prayer Jesus made in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, Father, not my will, but your will be done. But would you, would you take this cup from me? In other words, would you take away what's about to come? But not my will, your will. Right, which, which is the important part of that prayer where he is conceding uh, over and submitting to his Father's will, which is that he drink that cup down to the dregs for your soul. Psalm 55 <clears throat> says this uh, at verse 16, As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for they are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old. Selah. So God, who is omnipotent, 
Let me say that again. God who is omnipotent. There's nothing that is impossible for God. God who can affect any change in this world he would like. Here's an answers prayer. You have no more powerful resource to go to than God Almighty, right? We know that theoretically. Has that sunk into our daily practice? Has that sunk into our... Has that helped us with our anxieties? I can pray to the omnipotent God, and He hears and answers. Right? That's, that's the hard part, because our flesh says, okay, you know, he's, he's, I don't see Him, He's far away, He doesn't hear my prayers, I'm too lazy to pray, every time I pray I'm distracted, right? We, we all go through that, that, that litany of abuse from the evil one when we come to pray. And yet prayer is going to the one who is all-powerful. And so what further incentive do we need to pray than that? He can do anything. And and I love this, this Psalm 55. I will call upon the Lord. He will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur. And he will hear my voice. Right? That's the prayers of Job. Go read the the complaints and the murmuring of Job. Right? God, why are you afflicting me? I wish I had never been born. He's pouring out his complaints to Almighty God. He's not gossiping and, and trying to smash the reputation of God. He's actually honestly pouring out his heart before the Lord. There are times when you're, you're prayers before God should reach that sort of fevered pitch. If at the end of it you're willing to say, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Right? And so, um, pouring out complaints and murmuring, right? He will hear and he will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. And so remember that. God is, who is omnipotent hears and answers prayers. That should be your incentive to go to prayer. Knowing who God is, what his power is, and that he's told you to pray, and that he's also told you that he listens and he answers. It's stupendous, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's wonderful. And we pray so seldom. And when we do pray, it's just like, like, Weak, superficial, distracted, just mumblings, right? I'll speak for myself. That's how it is for me. Well, a little nudge from Jonathan Edwards. In a sermon entitled, Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer. Now, what he goes through, the, the, sermon, the sermon is about the fact that hypocrites, those who have a false profession of faith, right, those who are not really believers, will not pray. 
those who don't know the Lord, hypocrites don't pray because they're just, they have a false profession. The Spirit is not groaning in them in any way. And so all of, you know, they, they don't have incentive, they don't have vision, they don't have reason to pray. So hypocrites don't pray. And, and so that's his theological point that he's making, but he makes some applications later in the sermon that I want to share with you. He says this, <clears throat> to move you to persevere in the duty of prayer, consider how much you always stand in need of the help of God. Okay, very simple. You need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. I'm a pathetic sinner. I lack faith. I am so easily offended, right? I am, I'm a sinner, and I, I spurn his will, and I need the help of God. He goes on, if persons who have formerly attended this duty stop praying, the language of it is that now they stand in no further need of God's help, that they have no further occasion to go to God with requests and supplications. When indeed it is in God we live and move and have our being, we cannot draw a breath without his help, you need his help every day for the supply of your outward wants, and especially you stand in continual need of him to help your souls. Without his protection, they would immediately fall into the hands of the devil, who always stands as a roaring lion ready whenever he is permitted to fall upon the souls of men and devour them. If God should indeed preserve your lives, but should otherwise forsake and leave you to yourselves you would be most miserable. Your lives would be a curse to you. Those that are converted, if God should forsake them, would soon fall away totally from a state of grace into a state more miserable than ever they were in before their conversion. They have no strength of their own to resist those powerful enemies who surround them. Sin and Satan would immediately carry them away as a mighty flood if God should forsake them. You stand in need of daily supplies from God. Without God, you can receive no spiritual light, no, nor comfort, can exercise no grace, can bring forth no fruit. Without God, your souls will wither and pine away and sink into a most wretched state. You continually need the instructions and directions of God. What can a little child do? in a vast howling wilderness without someone to guide it and to lead it in the right way. Without God, you will soon fall into snares and pits and many fatal calamities. Seeing, therefore, you stand in such continual need of the help of God, how reasonable is it that you should continually seek it of Him and perseveringly acknowledge your dependence upon Him by resorting to him, to spread your needs before him, and to offer up your requests to him in prayer. Let us consider how miserable we should be if we should leave off prayer, and God at the same time should leave off to take any care of us and to afford us any more supplies of his grace. By our constancy in prayer, we cannot be profitable to God, and if we leave it off, God will sustain no damage. He does not need our prayers. 
But if God ceased to care for us and to help us, we immediately sink. We can do nothing. We can receive nothing without him. So that's his first point. Right? If, if God stopped, if God only responded to our prayers, let's say that, right? If, if God only responded to our prayers for our needs and our lives and our souls, what would your life look like? <laughs> now he's gracious and he's abounding in loving kindness and the spirit groans in us with words that, you know, are, are deep and and others pray for us. You know, I see my wife praying in the morning and it encourages my soul, right? Because I know she's praying for me and for our children and for others and for the church and for herself. And so, um, but think of that. Think of that. If, if God left us, if God just only answered the prayers we lift up to him, would he be doing anything in your lives? Um, that's convicting to me. You know, there are things that don't happen because you didn't pray about it. I say that as a, as a reformed Presbyterian who believes in the sovereignty of God. There are things that don't happen because you didn't pray about them. There are things that happen because you did pray about them. Can we say that? Because God ordains those secondary means, right? God ordains the secondary means, and those secondary means have a will that is exercised. And we pray, and it does affect things, okay? All decreed by God, okay? I admit that. But there are things that don't happen because you don't pray about them. Just contemplate that. How long will you be miserable and unhappy and never pray about and repent of being miserable and unhappy? Here's another application from Edwards. Consider the great benefit of a constant, diligent, and persevering attendance on the duty of prayer. It is one of the greatest and most excellent means of nourishing the new nature and of causing the soul to flourish and prosper. It is an excellent mean of keeping up an acquaintance with God and of growing in the knowledge of God. It is the way to a life of communion with God. It is an excellent means of taking off the heart from the vanities of the world and of causing the mind to be conversant in heaven. It is an excellent preservative from sin and the wiles of the devil and a powerful antidote against the poison of the old serpent. It is a duty whereby strength is derived from God against the lusts and corruptions of the heart and the snares of the world. It hath a great tendency to keep the soul in a wakeful frame and to lead us to a strict walk with God and to a life that shall be fruitful in such good works as tend to adorn the doctrine of Christ and to cause our light so to shine before others that they, seeing our good works, shall glorify our Father who is in heaven. And if the duty be constantly and diligently attended, it will be a very pleasant duty. 
slack and slothful attendance upon it and unsteadiness in prayer are the causes which make it so great a burden as to as it is to some persons. There's slothfulness in it, hath naturally the effect to beget a dislike of the duty and a great indisposition to it. But if it be constantly and diligently attended, it is one of the best means of leading not only a Christian and amiable, uh, but also a pleasant life, a life of much sweet fellowship with Christ and of the abundant enjoyment of the light of his countenance. Besides, the great power which prayer, when duly attended, hath with God, is worthy of your notice. I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, the great power of God, and, and you know, it's, it's being pushed about by prayer, is worthy of your notice. By it, men become like Jacob, who as a prince had power with God and prevailed when he wrestled with God for the blessing. See the power of prayer represented in James 5, 16 and 18. By these things, you may be sensible how much you will lose if you shall be negligent of this great duty of calling upon God and how ill you will consult your own interests by such a neglect. if, If you are negligent in prayer, you're losing a, a lot. You're losing a lot. You're not just losing God's actions. You're losing just sweet fellowship with the one who loves you and poured out his love in your heart through the Spirit and Jesus who intercedes for you. You're just losing, you're losing out on on pretty much the highest form of personal fellowship that you could you could that is laid out for us in Scripture, and that's prayer. You're missing out on fellowship with your God. And of course, we, our time, we think, all of us, all of us think about our time quite a bit. All of us each day make decisions about how we will use our time, right? The to-do list, the tyranny of the to-do list uh, comes creeping in. Are you a to-do lister? Who does that? Who fills up pages with to-do lists? Yeah, lots of us. I love a to-do list. You know, get organized, get clear, date it. It's got to be, you know, due dates, all of that stuff. Is prayer on your to-do list? (laughs) I mean, it shouldn't necessarily appear on the to-do list. It should just be like, I don't go to my to-do list until I pray, right? It should just be a normative part of your life. But we're weak, and so it probably should appear on the to-do list, and maybe it should be timed. You know, I'm going to do a half hour of prayer in the morning and a half hour in the evening and 15 minutes at lunch and five minutes as I drive to work and drive home. And then you can have the satisfaction of that little check mark in the box you put next to it. Yeah, yeah. Communion with God. Don't even call it prayer. Just call it enjoying God, fellowshiping with God, communicating with the almighty, omnipotent, glorious Lord. And so, um, 
Have you had those sweet times of prayer? Have you had times where you felt that, the, that, that you were sitting at the feet of Jesus and the Holy Spirit was active? And You've had those times, right? You've felt that refresh, refreshment. You've felt that promise in Philippians that the peace of Christ guards your hearts and your minds. You could be in the midst of terrible trials and you pray, and then there's peace. And it makes no sense other than a fulfillment of the, that verse in Philippians 4. Right? So there's peace. Here's this from his conclusion in the sermon. All of Edward's sermons follow a structure. It's like doctrine several points, application, several points, conclusion. Everyone I've ever read has that form. Very well laid out, easy to follow, build upon one another. But here's what he says from the conclusion. This is the second point in the conclusion. Let me direct you to forsake all such practices as you find by experience do it indispose you to the duty of secret prayer. So get rid of everything that keeps you from secret prayer. And it's going to be different for all of us, right? We have things, we, we decide how we're going to use our time. We fill up our time with certain things. There are certain things we have to do, right? We can't just, uh, we can't just move to Mont St. Michel and become a monk. Some of you might want to do that, but I would not. It would be miserable. Anyway, um, so he goes on, he says, examine the things in which you have allowed yourselves and inquire whether they have had this effect. You are able to look over your past behavior and may doubtless on an impartial consideration, make a judgment of the practices and courses in which you have allowed yourselves. Particularly let young people examine their manner of company keeping and the round of diversions in which, with their companions, they have allowed themselves. I only desire that you would ask at the uh, mouth of your own consciences what has been the effect of these things with respect to your attendance on the duty of secret prayer. So, what have you spent your time on, and how has it affected your ability to pray? Have you not found that such practices have tended to the neglect of this duty? Have you not found that after them, you have been more indisposed to it and less conscientious and careful to attend it? Yea, have they not from time to time actually been the means of your neglecting it? If you cannot deny that this is really the case, then if you seek the good of your souls, forsake these practices. In other words, this is, this is just like if you examine yourself and you see that there are things keeping you from prayer, well, get rid of those things. <laughs> so let's name some things that keep us from prayer. No, not the cell phone. Oh, yes. I mean, I, am sh I, I, I should blush when you say that. 
It's terrible. I don't think you would have made it through those days if you hadn't been praying. That's very helpful. <clears throat> yeah, there, 2006. That's when the first Apple phone came out. 2006. So it's been, what, uh, six, 17 years. And the devil loves what that has done to distract us away from the duty of prayer and worship and spending time with our children and speaking to our wives. and I mean, the list, you could build a huge long list, right? Um, false intimacy that it builds, right? Um, friendship is, is being destroyed because of the cell phone, because everybody thinks they have friends and they have none. Um, so yeah, that, that certainly is probably the first thing that we need to think about and just get rigorous about it. Get rigorous about it. Um, stack the phones, put them in a drawer for certain uh, hours of the day and go back to what it was like in 2005. Well, let's say 1982. No flip phones even. Let's go back to 1982 when you would try to get in touch with somebody and it'd be two, three days before you could make contact with a spouse beautiful. I mean, not that part of it. <laughs> not that part of it. But you could be alone. One of the, one of, what I'm talking about here, prayer requires you being alone and focused. You cannot pray without, pray without being alone. We are never alone. We're never alone. We're never alone. We need to be, we need to do what Jesus did, depart from his men, his disciples, and go up on the mountain in the middle of the night to pray. Except we're never alone. It may be midnight, but we've got notifications popping up on our phone even at midnight. And so, yeah, that's the first one. If we're going to be rigorous about our prayer, there's got to be some... Uh, cutting of the um, umbilical cord that has grown from us to our devices. Right? What else? What distracts you from prayer? Sleep. Absolutely. Little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands. 
I don't want to get up at 5.30. The only time I have to pray today is 5.30 a.m. And you sleep. Right? Yep, sleep is one of those things where if we can be consistent, if we can go to bed at the right time, we can get up, we can spend that time where we have infinitely less distractions praying to God. Oh, man. I think, yeah, that's great. That's, I mean, things like that. We're, we're, our stupid flesh needs stupid things to make us do things. Uh, the other thing I would say um, is... Probably before even cell phones, your lack of desire to pray is hindering you from prayer. And so you need to study what prayer is and what power it has and who it is you're praying to and what he can do and remind yourselves of those things so that you are absolutely uh, blown away by what power you have in prayer. And then it's like, okay, if I, if, if I know that, then cutting these other things out will be pretty simple. You know, to have the ear of Almighty God who casts the stars into space, pretty cool. You know, as the, yeah. Other options where you can get help from, like. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, uh, just really quick, you remember this, you may never see the results of your prayers. Someone 350 years ago may have prayed for you. Do you realize that? One of your ancestors may have prayed for his great-great-grandchildren. God heard that prayer and answers that prayer. Someone faithful in your line. Do you pray for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren? Lift those memorials up to the Lord, right? Think of the prayers of King David in the Psalms that were answered a millennium later in the birth of Jesus Christ, right? Psalm 69, laying out his crucifixion in his prayer. Right, and so think of that. Pray forward, more distance than you have been. We usually pray right for tomorrow. That's good, but pray forward, way beyond that. Okay, pray for the nation forward. Pray for people forward. Yeah. Hmm. Righteous lot, yeah, exactly. 
So you may never know the results of your prayers. You may be praying for people. You may be praying for situations. Never have the, the beginning to, to the end worked out, and you may never see it. You may, on the other hand, see the results of your prayer. And my example here is, is Augustine's mother, Monica, praying for him through all of his debauchery. Right? Augustine was a dude. I mean, a, a, a cultist right, in the Manichaeans, and, and, you know, had his woman, and, uh, and his mom, who was faithful and orthodox and a believer, prayed and prayed and prayed through all of that, and eventually God allowed her to see that her son come to faith, repents, join the church, and just become a, a pillar in the church, used greatly. In, in, the, um, in his uh, confessions, there's a section about this. He says this, and I'll close with this. Um, this is Augustine's confessions. He's talking about his mother, Monica. But you sent down your help from above and rescued my soul from the depths of this darkness because my mother, your faithful servant, wept to you for me, shedding more tears for my spiritual death than other mothers shed for the bodily death of a son. For in her faith and in her spirit, which she had from you, she looked on me as dead. You heard her and did not despise the tears which streamed down and watered the earth in every place where she bowed her head in prayer. You heard her, for how else can I explain the dream with which you consoled her? so that she agreed to live with me and eat at the same table in our home. Lately, she had refused to do this because she loathed and shunned the blasphemy of my false beliefs. Right? So she won't even go to his house and have supper. She's like, you're a, you're a wicked pagan. But she was praying. She dreamed that she was standing on a wooden rule and coming towards her, in a halo of splendor, she saw a young man who smiled at her in joy, although she herself was sad and quite consumed with grief. He asked her the reason for her sorrow and her daily tears, not because he did not know, but because he had something to tell her, for this is what happens in visions. When she replied that her tears were for the soul I had lost, he told her to take heart, for if she looked carefully, she would see that where she was, there was also was I. And when she looked, she saw me standing beside her on the same rule. Where could this dream have come from unless it was that you listened to the prayer of her heart? For your goodness is almighty. You take care, you take good care of each of us as if you had no other others in your care. And you look after all as you look after each. And sure, surely it was for the same reason that when she told me of the dream and I tried to interpret it as a message that she need not despair of being one day such as I was then, she said at once and without hesitation, no, he did not say where he was, you are, but where you are, he is. I have often said before, and to the best of my memory, I now declare to you, Lord, that I was much moved by this answer which you gave me through my mother. She was not disturbed by my interpretation of her dream, plausibly, plausible though it was, 
but quickly saw the true meaning which I had not seen until she spoke. I was more deeply moved by this than by the dream itself, in which the joy for which the devout woman had so had still so long to wait was foretold so long before to comfort her in the time of her distress. For nearly nine years were yet to come, during which I was wallowing deep in the mire in the darkness of delusion. Often I tried to lift myself, only to plunge the deeper. Yet all the time this chaste, devout, and prudent woman, a widow such as is close to your heart, never ceased to pray at all hours and to offer you the tears she, sh she shed for me. The dream had given her new spirit to her hope, but she gave no rest to her sighs and her tears. Her prayers reached your presence, and yet you still left me to twist and turn in the dark. Nine years, right? She'd been praying long before that. She prays for nine years, and eventually Augustine, so much for our benefit, so much, I mean, his writing on the Trinity alone, so much for our benefit, that, that man's conversion. And so sometimes God will, will allow you to see the answers to your prayers. Not always, right? You may, may not know their effect, but sometimes he'll bless you in that way, and you should rejoice in that. Persevere in prayer, too. Part of being rigorous in prayer is persevering in prayer, continuing to pray. All right, let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for the gift of prayer. Forgive us for our neglect of it. Forgive us for thinking uh, thoughts that are not appropriate to your power and your glory and your might, your majesty. I pray that you would impress upon us your omnipotent power and that we would, we would avail ourselves of that power through prayer and that we would learn what it means to pray without ceasing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.